all around us. There is an unseen battle raging. A battle we are a part of. Even if we don't always recognize it. In the midst of this battle, we are called to be faithful witnesses. To endure. And hold to an abiding trust that tomorrow is one. And that today, no matter what is taking place around us, the King sits upon the throne. The pages of Scripture are full of this hope. And while the revelation given to the Apostle John is often mysterious, it offers a clear promise and a clear message to God's people. To those who conquer, our hope is sure because our victor is sure. Endure and bear witness to him, the one who sits upon the throne, the one who is worthy, the one who was, and is, and is to come. Good morning, church family. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Our scripture passage this morning is found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to God his and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Church, hear the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Amen. Just pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the privilege we've already had to be able to come before your presence, to sing your praises, to worship you. Uh, Father, to take of communion and be reminded of the assurance of our promise that is in Jesus Christ, that we as Christians not only look back to what has been done for us, but we have a living king who sits upon the throne 
We have a living king who we wait to come back. And, and Lord, we're so grateful for that, that our, our faith is alive, it is active, it is real, it, 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 it involves every part of our lives. And our king, he has called us to follow him in every part of our lives. And Lord, as we enter into this series, Father, I pray you would help us to do so, empowered by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would truly give us eyes to see and ears to hear, as we will hear so many times in this text. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts uh, for the message that you want to reveal to us as your people. And Lord, we just give this time to you. I pray, Lord, that you would just help uh, me, a weak vessel, to be uh, clear, uh, to proclaim clearly, to be able to communicate clearly, uh, that I would not get in the way of what I know is such a wonderful thing for your people. And so, Lord, just ask for your help. I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as you know, we're getting ready to start into a book, the book of Revelation. And so I am so excited for that. Um, before we jump in, though, I have to do something. Uh, I see that uh, Brandon Gologly is here, um, our new youth pastor. Um, and if you don't know, uh, we get to congratulate him and Ashley because they had a baby this week. And so we're super excited for Brandon and Ashley. Yay. Um, so, uh, and he's here anyway, so that's super awesome. So nonetheless, like we're excited for them. Um, but I'm also excited for the book of Revelation, probably even more so in some respects. Uh, this is, there's so much in this text. There's so much in this, this book that has been given to us. And so here's what I want to do for today. There's a couple of different things as we begin this series. One, uh, as we jump into this 18 to 20 week series, uh, I, I want to lay some foundations and specifically talk about a few different things. First, why this book is not one that is preached very often within the church. Now, you may have grown up in the church. You may have seen seasons where Revelation was talked about a lot during the church. And, and, and recently, though, if you look across the scope of evangelicalism, it's not something that gets preached very often in our day and age. The second thing I want to look at is why in the world would we as leadership step into such a complex and challenging book of the Bible. And then the third thing is to be able to give us some basic principles that I think will really help us as we enter into Revelation that become kind of foundations for us as we look at this book. Now, it's interesting. When I started to research and started to read and started to look at all the different things that were out there, and by the way, I'll just say right here at the front that there is a bibliography available. Uh, there is no way in the world I'm going to be able to perfectly quote every single thing and every single source that I've gotten. Uh, and so if you want to know that list of all of our pastors that we've read through or that we've engaged, um, that is available upon request through the office. Um, also, um, David Mann and a few others have put together a guide that's available to you out in Central to just help about some Specific, uh, specific terms and understandings of certain things that's on the app as well. But as I started to do this study six months ago, it was interesting because it seems pretty prevalent that if you poll the church and you ask the body of Christ, what's the book of the Bible you want preached most often, guess which one is at the top of the list? The book of Revelation. Um, which is actually seemed to kind of bear itself true. If you remember a few months ago, we took a survey here at Central, and guess what the, the one thing was most people wanted to study here at Central? The book of Revelation. You can respond, by the way, if I ask. It's all right. <laughs> now, what's interesting about the surveys is it, when asked by pastors, what's the one book you don't want to teach? What do you think is the book that was in those surveys? The book of Revelation. 
right? Which is really interesting when you think about all that is in this space and all that is here. And here's the reason and the reality of it is, is even as a pastor that's stepping into this, and frankly, as a team of pastors and, and, and elders and directors that are stepping into this book, like this can be a really intimidating book of the Bible, can't it? And there's a lot of reasons why this can be an intimidating book. One of those reasons is that it can be really controversial. There are a lot of different ways of interpreting the things that are in the book of Revelation. Now, I want to say that, but I want to say very, very clearly, that does not mean that there is not truth to be had. It just reminds us that we, as we approach the book of Revelation, need to approach it with humility and graciousness. Amen? Now, here's the thing. Some people we know take this book really, really seriously. They have spent their lives pouring into this book, trying to understand and grasp all this. And so, so part of the reason why it can be controversial is there's people who have built their entire lives around certain viewpoints of the book of Revelation. And you know what? I'm grateful for those people. Some of you are here in the church, and you have really engaged this book, and I'm so glad for that. My challenge to you would be, let's be gracious and humble. Because we're not always going to agree on everything that's in this book. Even within our pastoral staff, we don't always agree with everything that we think about in this book. But that's one of the reasons why it's avoided. Another one of the reasons why it's avoided is people think, this book is crazy. And it doesn't have anything to do with my day-to-day life. Early on, David Mann gave me this cartoon. I think it's up on the screen. Um, I love it. My wife just left me. I lost my job. I need surgery and my spirits have hit bottom. Pastor, you got to help me. What's the difference between pre, post, and amillennialism? <laughs> a lot of people feel that way about the book of Revelation. Like, why does this matter? Like, it doesn't make any difference. Like, like I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. Like, like, this does not have to do with me losing my wife or me losing my husband or me being sick or me losing my job. Here's what I would tell you right at the beginning. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I think that as we go on in this series, you will see how impactful and how important it is for your life. Another reason that we don't deal oftentimes with the book of Revelation is because of words like premillennial post-millennial, amillennialism, and all these other different things, words that are used to talk about the book of Revelation that aren't even in the book of Revelation that seem to put people off. They're like, I don't know what those are, and I don't want to know what those are. I'm staying away. But then, as if that's not bad enough, you get into the book of Revelation, and we start hearing words like tribulation, and dragons, and beasts, and lambs with horns, and abysses, and locusts, and bloody robes, and wrath, and hailstones, and antichrist. Anybody think we're crazy if we start talking about this stuff? I mean, just think about that. These, these things, it starts to feel more like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones than it does something to preach, right? And a lot of people are like, ah, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to deal with it. It feels inaccessible. And a lot of that, and the reason why it's inaccessible is because we simply don't understand. Like, for example, if I were to stand up here and start talking to you about um, the Balrog of Morgoth, some of you laugh because you're Lord of the Rings nerds, like I am. But the rest of you who are not Lord of the Rings nerds go, what's he talking about? He sounds like he should be in a dark basement with a deck of cards alone. (laughs) Right? 
like by himself, because I don't want to talk about that stuff that's weird. Like we're worried that if we preach about the book of Revelation, that when people come into the, the church, they're being like, these people are talking about dragons and harlots and all kinds of other crazy stuff, like I'm out. And oftentimes that's because we don't simply understand what's there. And we don't understand what's going on. And so our desire and our goal is to try our best to bring light to that. Now, with all that, why in the world would we start to study this book? One that is so full of potential landmines. Well, first, we look to study this book because we want to be a church that preaches the full counsel of God, not just the easy parts, amen? But it's more than that. And it's not because Putin invaded Ukraine. And it's not because of COVID-19. It's because of something so much broader than that. We as pastors and elders, we're not panicking, thinking, oh no, the end is coming and we need to get ready. But here's what we do believe. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. And it's going all around us. And as leaders and as a church, we want to be in that battle. And we can forget that this is all about what the work of God is doing. And we can forget that there is a spiritual battle. And sadly, a lot of Christians, they're simply not awake to this reality. And they wonder why they're getting it handed to them day in and day out. They wonder why they're struggling with sin and why they're struggling with, with challenges to temptation and bondages and feelings of fear and doubt and anxiety. And there's an unwillingness to step into hard things or the willingness to step into the church or even evangelism. We wonder why there's apathy with evangelicalism. We believe it's because there's a spiritual battle. And a lot of people aren't aware of it. And so we're losing. Now, he will never lose. Let me just make that clear. He cannot lose. But we can be unaware of what's going on around us. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 10 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. We want to listen. We don't want to be a people that just goes about in our religious habits. We want to seek the will and the direction of our king every single day. And these are some of the main emphasis of the book of Revelation to help us to be a people who understand what is going on around us spiritually and how we can live accordingly. Help us to endure. So three things as to why we want to sell it, study the book of Revelation now. First, we want to study the book of Revelation because we want to be aware of the battle that is around us. Second, we want to be prepared for the battle that is going on around us. Third, we want to be engaged in the battle that is going on around us. Amen? So let's start with we want to be aware of the battle that is going on around us. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's read it together again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This letter is given to us. It is 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to be mindful of this word right here. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Like we see that, we read that. And in the Greek, do you know where that word comes from? It comes from the word apocalypsis. Sound familiar? The apocalypse? Like when we hear the idea of apocalypse, what do you think of when you hear the word apocalypse? You think hailstones coming down, big earthquakes, tidal waves sweeping across the nations, California, like breaking off the United States and falling into the ocean. Don't clap. (laughs) Right? Like that's what we think when we think of apocalypse. We're waiting for that movie. And, and, And we even think about genres talking in Revelation that this is an apocalyptic literature. Now here's the deal, and this is something that needs to be reminded for us. Is this about things that are going to come? And is this about things that are going to happen in the future? Yes, but it's also about things that are happening now. And what that word means is not, oh, about the end times and fiery hailstones coming down. You know what it means? It means an unveiling. It means an unveiling, an uncovering. And we have let Hollywood rob us of what this book is really about by changing the term apocalypse. This is Jesus unveiling to us, showing to us his servants. That's you, that's me, that's every one of our brothers and sisters across this country and this world. That's every one of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us, including the ones that John sent this letter to. He is unveiling what Jesus is doing, the work of Jesus now. He's unveiling it for us, his servants, by showing us what John sees. And that's something that's important to see. We are seeing what John saw. John is trying to express to us what he saw, what God showed to him. This book is not intended for scholars. Think about that. This book is not intended for scholars. This book was intended for first century Christians, many of who couldn't even read. It's intended for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all across this world, from the first century and every single one that has existed since then. It is written to them for us. This then automatically gets me into some principles that I think are important for us as we engage this, if we want to be aware of the battle and as we want to look at this text as an unveiling that's going on, some principles that we need to have our foundation, our feet planted firmly on as we start to look at Revelation. So what are some of those principles? First, it can't mean for us what it didn't mean for them. Now, I just told you about a word. At the very first word of, of, of this book, Revelation, the idea of apocalypse, like just because we think of something different, that's not what that word ever meant to those people. So we can't just change the words. We can't just change things to mean to us something that it never meant to those people. Let me give you another example. We quote all the time in this, in this church, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, When we hear nations, what do we think? When we hear nations, we think geopolitical um, countries with boundaries and rulers. We we think Iran, we think um, China, America, Canada, all kinds of different countries. Is that what it meant for them? No. 
It did not mean the 193 countries that exist right now. That word nations didn't mean that to the people when it was written all the way back in the first century. When that word was used, it was ethnos, which meant every ethnicity. You know, that's, that's a huge difference, right? So the church's the, the mission is not done once we have a church in every one of the 193 countries. The church has to continue to press forward until there's a church represented in every one of the over 10,000 or more ethnicities in this world. It cannot mean for us what it didn't mean for them. Make sense? Like This is an important thing for us. So we can't look at Revelation and start to add things into it because that's what we want it to mean. It meant something to them and we need to discover what it meant to them. Second principle. Revelation is a view given to us from heaven. The spiritual realm did not just go quiet when Jesus ascended into heaven. God wants us to see what is spiritually happening around us right now. Yes, there's stuff to still come in the future, but he also wants us to see what is happening right now. And when we read in the book of Revelation about the dragon that is making war against the offspring of the woman who represents the church... The Christians that are in Iran right now, they're not thinking that's some future moment. So in Revelation chapter 12, when we see that image given to us of this dragon going after the offspring of the woman, like, like that's a given to us to help us understand spiritually what is going on around us. And like I said, that may not feel real to us, but it feels viscerally real to millions of people all over the world who are underneath the persecution and the hard hand of persecution right now. People who have watched their brothers and sisters be exiled, kicked out of their families, even killed, you don't think they see the dragon coming after them? I mean, let me just say something else. You don't think he's coming after us? You think just because we're not being persecuted in this country that the dragons just left us alone? I'm here to tell you, he's coming after us. He's coming after us hard. Now it's different and it looks different, but he is making war against you and he is making war against me. And we need to understand that. The truth is that he is going after the church. He absolutely is. And oftentimes we are completely unaware of it. And like ostriches with our heads stuck in the sand, we're getting it handed to us. The enemy is real, and he is there. And God is trying to open our eyes to see from heaven's perspective what's happening in the spiritual world. And that has effect on you and I right here and right now. Like there's a spiritual world taking place in this room right now. The presence of of the Holy God's Spirit is in this place because he's in all of his people. <laughs> that's, not just, that's not just theology. That's real. And we need to be reminded about it. Third, Revelation is a picture book, not a puzzle book. Vern Poithros used this phrase in his book, The Return of the King, and his point is that so often we view Revelation as just this big, giant, great, 
a jigsaw puzzle that's thrown out on the table in chaos, and our job of, as the church over the years is to take all those pieces of the puzzles and line them up and try to discern where are we in this puzzle? What's going on in this puzzle? And so if you've been around the church for very long, you've seen that this has led to some unhealthy things. Like, for example, Mikhail Gorbachev, Antichrist. Anybody remember that? The Pope, Antichrist. Remember? Y2K into the world, the oil fields being, getting burned in Iraq in the 90s was the abyss being opened up. Like we could go on and on. Credit cards were uh, the, the mark of the beast. The vaccination was the mark of the beast. Like what we're trying to do in that is we're trying to see the book of Revelation as if this is this giant puzzle. And our job is to try to figure out what's going on and all the different pieces of that puzzle and trying to put it into place. And throughout history, people have been doing this. And it can lead to different challenging things. But God is giving us pictures that communicate to us what is happening all around us every day and what is also coming down the road. And you might be thinking, oh man, you mean Darren's not going to tell me who the beast in Revelation chapter 17 is? No, I'm not. But we will look at what it means. And we have to admit the symbol might take several forms throughout history. And there may be even one that's more apparent and more clear to come, which leads me to the next principle. Symbols in Revelation and in apocalyptic literature can have multiple meanings and fulfillments. Like the book of Revelation, it's full of symbols, which is what can make it so difficult. Some of the things that we'll see, they're literal. Some of the things we see are symbolic. Some of the things that we see are both. John, for example, saw a literal lamb with seven horns. Literal lamb. Like he turns and he sees a literal lamb with seven horns. Now, is, is Jesus, throughout the book of Revelation, a shapeshifter, meaning he's taking all these different forms? Or is John seeing something very literal that's trying to communicate something to him that is hard to describe in words? I think that's the case. And what that picture is giving to us, if we understand, and we'll talk about this later, is that Jesus has complete ultimate authority and power. Complete ultimate authority and power. This lamb that was slain, he is the king. You look at the dragon in Revelation chapter 17. Some of you may say, I don't know about the dragon in Revelation chapter 17. Don't worry, stick with us, we'll get there. But the dragon is represented as seven heads or having seven heads, which are seven mountains, and there is a woman who is sitting upon him. John's first readers would have easily and clearly seen this to be and intend to be Rome. For them, they understood that Rome was the city on seven hills. But here's the thing, it doesn't only represent Rome. There may be many iterations of this throughout history. There may even be a greater fulfillment of this beast and this woman in the future. Prophecy is multifaceted. We need to understand that. Just because you say, well, the beast represents Rome, doesn't mean that it doesn't also represent something coming in the future. It can be both and, not either or. We need to understand that. The book of Revelation is also full of numbers and colors which have symbolic meaning. We'll get into that a lot. We need to be reminded, symbols can have multiple meanings and fulfillments. Next, Revelation rarely introduces something that we have not seen before. 
Let me illustrate. One commentator puts forward that in the 404 verses of Revelation, there are some 500 allusions to the Old Testament. Just, just think about that. In 404 verses, there are over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. Most of those are in the Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the book of Joel. Some of them are more consistent than others, meaning that they're used more often, like the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel 7 and Daniel chapter 12. We see a lot of images that are replicated in the book of Revelation. Now, this is one of the reasons why Revelation can be so difficult, because a lot of us have an aversion to the Old Testament, don't we? Like, we love the narratives, like we love reading about David and we love reading about Goliath and we love about Noah's Ark and the flood and all that stuff. But when he gets to the prophets, we're like, skip it. New Testament, like give me two Ephesians. Like that's what I like. And so it feels difficult because it feels like it's strange language to us. And listen, this is not saying that John copied the Old Testament. He didn't. You know what it's saying? Is that God is showing John some of the same things he showed Daniel. And that John, in his effort to describe things that he's seeing visually for the first time, is using language that he's familiar with. Oh man, this must be what Daniel saw. Oh wow, this sounds exactly like what Ezekiel saw. And so I'm going to use the same language. And so if we want to understand the book of Revelation, we need to always start our journey in the Old Testament. We always need to look there first. Now, I want to shift back to the reasons why we're studying the book of Revelation. I'll come back to a few more principles in a couple of moments, but as we said, we're studying because we want to be aware of the battle. But we don't want to just be aware of the battle, do we? We also want to be prepared for the battle. This is important. Because as we read the book of Revelation... And as we become more aware of heaven's view and the spiritual battle that's going on around us, we want to be more prepared for the battle that we're in. God wants us to conquer. God wants us to overcome. This word is used 28 times throughout the book of Revelation. And he wants us, as the people of God, as his people, to be prepared to fight so that we can find ourselves as the ones who conquered. The promise that he gives multiple times to the churches in Revelation chapter two and three. He wants you to conquer, overcome. He wants your family to conquer and to overcome. He wants this church to conquer and to overcome. We will find in Revelation that the enemy, he's trying to deceive you, distract you, seduce you, woo you to sleep, to keep us out of the fight, both in our personal lives, our private lives, in our family lives, as well as corporately as churches. And Jesus is unveiling for us Satan's tactics because our enemy doesn't want to tell us what he's doing. Now think about getting into a fight. You don't walk up and say, you're about to get a fight to do and start telling them all the things you're going to do. All right, here's the thing. I'm going to come at you first with a right, and then I'm going to come up with an uppercut, and then I'm going to get you with a jab. Like, you say that, you lose the battle. Like, that's not how the enemy fights. Like, if you want to win a fight, the best thing to do is sneak up on your opponent, take his knees out, and then run. 
right? Maybe that's the way I fight. Maybe that's not the way you fight. But it is the way Satan fights. Let me just think about this. We've seen this in the Old Testament, right? Like, like when Satan came to Eve, he didn't come and say, okay, here's the deal. I'm about to tell you something that's kind of true, but not really true. And I don't want you to be aware of it. No, no, he came in to try to take out her knees. He came in slyly and sneaky to seduce and to put doubt and seeds of doubt in her. And Satan is hard to spot sometimes. Revelation is here to help us see him. And to be prepared so that when he swings at us, we can block it. This is what he's all about. He's been doing it for centuries. You think Satan is telling you and trying to make it obvious how he's coming at you? And me and my family and our churches? Do you really think that at some level, that the barrage of ads and social media and homosexual normalization, just to say a few, that that's not Satan trying to slowly take out our knees. And we have no idea it's coming. God is wanting us to be aware so that we can be prepared to fight. And Revelation helps us to see that. Revelation's goal is to help us to see that. Jesus is telling John these things to give to the church so that we can see that, so that not only are we aware of the battle, but that we can then be prepared for battle so that we can then be engaged in the battle. Amen? We aren't meant to sit back hoping that everything just works out okay. With an enemy like ours, man, he's going to take full advantage of those people who just sit back. We need to be engaged. We are the people of God, and he has called us to engage. Uh, you ever watch those nature shows? Um, I'm actually getting ready to go to Kenya in a couple weeks, and um, I hope this, I don't see any of these things, but nonetheless, like, you ever watch the ones where like, the lion is going after the wildebeest? Who do they take out? They take out the weak ones in the back. Like the point of this is, is that the, like if you're not engaged in the battle, if you're just kind of like lackadaisical going around your life, like he's going to come after you. Because that's what lions do. And we know the scripture has told us that he is like a lion and he is going around prowling, seeking to devour. He is after the church. He's after you. He's after me. He's after our families. So shift back to some principles as we look at Revelation, we need to understand that Revelation is less about when Jesus returns and more about how you and I are to live while we wait. Let me just say that again. Revelation is less about when Jesus returns and more about how you and I are to live while we wait for him to return. That's really important. Jesus told us, nobody's going to know the hour. Nobody's going to know the day. Revelation is here to say, endure, be faithful, conquer, engage in the battle. Don't get tired. Be awake. Go, church. That's what Revelation is about. And we're going to get into this more as we move into things next week. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. I'm not going to do that here this morning, but Jesus wants his church to shine bright. He wants us to live in an understanding of what is happening around us spiritually. It's intended to give us strength, to give us power, to give us confidence so that we might live faithful lives, that we might bear enduring witnesses to who he is and to what he has done. When we see things around us happening from heaven's viewpoint, it reminds us the end is near. It is coming. So get busy. 
Brothers and sisters, there is a wrath being stored up for those who do not believe and an enemy that is at play right now. And it's all going to come to an end like a thief in the night. The blow of a trumpet. That could be today. It could be tomorrow. Revelation reminds us, though, whenever that day comes, he will win. And we will stand before the throne of God. And we have to realize that for some of us, that could even be today. So as we embark on this journey, we want to understand the point is for us to be aware of the battle, to be prepared for the battle, to engage in the battle so that we might overcome. So that we might overcome and conquer this world, so that we might overcome and conquer the enemy, so that we might overcome and conquer our flesh, so that we might see his kingdom break into the lives of those who do not know him. This is what we want to see. And you may say all that and say, okay, I get all that. Like, that's important. I see it. I hear it. I see that in other parts of Scripture. And so why, why Revelation? Like, why doesn't he just say it clearly? Why is there so many symbols and so much complexity to it? Well, here's the reason. And it's one oftentimes we lose sight of. Imagery stirs us, doesn't it? Imagery stirs us. J.R. Tolkien, he knew this. Go back to my Lord of the Rings stuff. Jericho Tolkien was a Christian, and he knew all kinds of things about Christian faith and Christian theology and, and how to live life. And J.R. Tolkien could have just preached a sermon or written a book that talked about how hard it is to live with flesh and how as we walk in our lives and we carry the flesh and the sinful nature in our lives, like it just feels like a burden and it weighs us down and we're constantly fighting that. And I mean, if we give ourselves to that wholeheartedly, like God will hand us over and we'll become like these strange kind of beast type people that just live in accordance with our own selfishness, right? He could have told us all of those things and we might have heard it, but he gave us images of a young guy named Frodo who had to carry this ring and he felt the weight of that ring grow more and more and more and it drug him down and he's constantly fighting this weight. He gave us the picture of Gollum who had been totally given over to the ring's power. My, hate, my wife hates Gollum, by the way, like hates him. It just creeps her out. But the whole point of it is, is that Tolkien knew that we need images sometimes to understand what's going on so that we get pulled into the story, so that we get passionate about the story, so we understand the story. Like it, it speaks to us in a unique way, in a different way. That's why reading books like Pilgrim's Progress is such an important thing, why there's such valuable things, because sometimes we need images to stir our hearts. And in the same way, like, we know that Satan is an evil and a spiritual being who's clothed in light and full of deception. Man, we are given an image of a ravaging dragon seeking to devour. He's roaring and he's terrifying. He's powerful. And that should do something to us. At least I think it should do something to us. The image of a great dragon that's making war against you. A great dragon that's making war against your family a great dragon that is making war against your kids, a great dragon who wants to consume those people you love, does that not do something to you? Like it should. That's who Satan is. And that's what he's trying to accomplish. And that should make us want to fight. It should make us stand up and say, no, like we want to be faithful. Seeing the image of a dragon 
Later in Revelation, being cast down and chained and subdued reminds us of the ultimate authority of our king, that there is no power in the dragon ultimately. I love what Daryl Johnson writes in Discipleship on the Edge. It's a great book, but he says this, imagery has the power to hook us deep inside. Images can quickly and effectively convey that which we struggle to put into words. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotions into the imagination, grabbing hold of us at the deepest recess of our being. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotion, informing the intellect and igniting the emotions. Man, God wants to capture our imaginations. And that's the thing about Revelation. There's nothing new in it. It's the same things we've seen throughout Scripture, but it's communicated in new ways, in different ways. And unveiling, and it's spiritual. It's from that, that, that perspective of heaven. Now, final principle. And I know this is just a big intro into the, the series of Revelation. But the final principle for us, this is an important one, Revelation is not the gospel. Amen. Like, that's a place to say amen. Revelation is not the gospel. Amen? Like, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It isn't. There's the gospel in it, but Revelation in and of itself is not the gospel. Your view of the book of Revelation versus your view of the book of Revelation doesn't save you. Only whether or not you have put faith in Jesus Christ to give you his righteousness saves you. Only the work of Jesus Christ saves you. Here's why that is important. We must come to Revelation with humility and we must come to it with graciousness. Recognizing that there is not a person in this world, there is not a person in this room that is gonna stand before God at the end of all things when everything is made clear who's gonna be like, nailed it. (laughs) Got it all. I hate it all. Like I didn't, listen, I don't care who you are or how right you are. Every one of us is gonna be, oops, missed that one. Didn't catch that one. And when you look at the book of Revelation, all you have to do is look across the scope of Christian evangelicalism and you're gonna see godly, scholarly, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ who don't agree with one another. How many of you know R.C. Sproul? How many of you know who John MacArthur is? They don't agree with each other. They don't. They, they, they get together and talk all the time about how they don't agree with each other and how each one of them thinks they're right in regards to whether one is amillennial and one is premillennial. Some of you are like, I still don't know what those mean. We'll get there. Right? But, but here's the thing. Like, they don't agree with each other. Because this is, and, and yet they can still be brothers in Christ. Why? Because revelation isn't the gospel. And yet... It is so important, and it is so beautiful, and it is so good. We just need to be reminded that God forbid we divide his church over something that is intended to bind us and bring unity to the church. Something that is intended to drive us to unity and drive us into the battle, should we allow that to divide us? I I pray that is not the case. Even within our staff, we don't agree. Guess what? It's okay. I love these men and women that we're talking about these things with. You're not going to agree with everything I say about Revelation. I'm not going to agree with everything you say about Revelation. I hope you can back it up with the scriptures instead of the Left Behind series. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, some of us, are, all of our perspective about Revelation came from a bunch of fictional books. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to say they're all wrong and all that kind of stuff. Like, we'll get to that later too. All right, but, but I'm, my point is, is that, listen, like, you don't have to agree with these things. We want to look at the word of God and we want to see what God is trying to communicate for, our, for his people and not let this beautiful, amazing book of revelation be taken from the church. It is a gift to the church. And we want to be involved in it and we want to be engaged in it. So let's be gracious. Let's embark on a wonderful journey. I close with this reminder. The battle is here. It's right now. There is a spiritual war going on, and we know the end of the war. We know who wins it at the end of the day, but we have been given a wonderful insight where where heaven has been opened to us, unveiled to us, uncovered to us, that we might see the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the enemy and his tactics so that we can be aware of that, so that we can be prepared for it, so that we can be engaged in it, all with the overarching principle so that you and me and our families and this body of believers and any other who study it can overcome and find ourselves standing before the throne of God at the end of all things, praising him for who he is and what he has done. Amen? That's what we're here to do. I mean, I hope we can all get behind that. But the question I leave us with this morning, are you engaged in the battle? Are you engaged in the battle? Or do you have your head stuck in the sand? I don't mean that judgmentally. Like, studying this book has opened my eyes to see that in many ways, I've had my head stuck in the sand. Are you fighting with the right weapons, the right tools? I hope so. I pray so. And we're going to even start this series with something really, really important, and that's with prayer. And so here's the thing. Tonight at 6 p.m. in the hospitality suite right over here, I'm going to be here with a bunch of our elders and pastors, and we're going to be praying, and we invite you to join us. We want to be praying that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. We want to be praying that the tactics of the enemy would be opened up so we could see them and we could fight against those things and not be seduced and wooed into those types of things. We want to be praying for our families and for our kids and for our church. We want to be praying that God would do something through this series, that, he, series, that his spirit would engage because we believe that what we're about to do is not just a physical thing about preaching and teaching words. It is a spiritual thing. And so I invite you tonight, six o'clock, right here in the hospitality suite. I don't know how long we're going to go. We're not going to have any any major like like plan or structure. We want to pray. We want to get before the Lord. We want to bend our knees upon Him. Like, listen, this is a phenomenal thing for you to do to bring your kids to. They can see the church praying and asking God to bless. I believe if we do that, He will bless. And he will listen and he will hear and God will do some spiritual things because when God's people pray, things happen. So join me tonight, 6 p.m. in the hospitality suite. And that's how we're gonna start. But the question you asked yourself this week is are you engaged in the battle? Pray with me. Father, um, 
you know right at the front of this how challenging it has already been to try to articulate all that is in this book that you've given to us, this letter that you've given to us, this this revelation that you gave to your servant John, who he then passed down to the churches of Laodicea and Ephesus and Thyatira and on and on, Lord, all the way to us in this day. Like, like you know how challenging it is, and we, man, we need your help. My prayer that is that even in the weakness of myself and other pastors and who are going to take on this and the, the, the teachers in the GLC classes who are going to take this on and try to help walk us through these things and take us into more depth in these things. Father, my prayer is that you would use your servants to your glory and to your name as weak as we are. Father, you would, you would be faithful to your promise in this text, which is that you will bless those who hear and keep what is written here. Amen. We'll see it. Father, I want to pray that you would open our eyes to be aware of the battle that is raging around us. I want to pray that you would help us to be prepared for the battle that is raging. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us to be engaged in the battle so that at the end of the day, we can overcome and we can conquer this world and we can simply be with you when you are the one who does all of those things. So, Father, I want to pray that you would help us to have eyes to see. That you would help us to have ears to hear. That you would protect this church in the next 18 to 20 weeks. I pray, Father, that you would protect the leaders of this church. Because I know the enemy doesn't want us to engage in the battle. I know that he doesn't want us to to become effective for your kingdom. I want to pray, Father, that if there is sin in us that we have yet to deal with or that we are just okay with, Lord, that you would bring us to repentance so that we could be effective, that we could begin to flourish and live the life that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that you would do that for us, your people. I pray, Lord, that for those that are in this room or listening online right now that don't know you and they hear this and they think, man, like, This is crazy, and I don't know what we're going to be talking about. I pray that the one thing they hear is there is a God who loved them enough to send his son to die, that they might have a way to find victory, that they might have a way to have righteousness granted to them and their sins forgiven, that they might be adopted into the family and into the kingdom of God, that they don't have to fear anything that's going to happen in this world, whether it be disease or famine or the mocking of other men. But Father, their king would sit upon the throne. And I pray that they would see it and they would desire it and that they would throw their faith upon you and find salvation. And I pray, Father, for us as your people, would you stir in us a zeal to tell others about you? Because the time is near and you're going to come like a thief in the night. May we be zealous to proclaim your excellencies. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.